the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. The Arizona Diamondbacks made four trades at the deadline in 2023. Let's talk about them. Steve Zinsmeister, Alex Weiner covers the team at ArizonaSports.com. It is the Ain't No Fang podcast. Uh, let's start kind of chronologically. Okay. We've already kind of done a deep dive into the Paul Seawald trade. The Diamondbacks go and add a closer at the deadline. The day before the deadline, actually, which seems like an important detail because so many people thought that we would see the majority of the action on actual deadline day. And we did. Um, but they were able to grab a closer the day before. That felt like the big move for the Diamondbacks. Absolutely. And it sort of it was like trade deadline day, but trade deadline weekend. We saw with the Jordan <laughs> Montgomery deal and eventually the Max Scherzer deal. Like when it's a Monday and then on deadline day, there was some uh, chaos too. But yeah, this is a team that went into the season closer by committee. Uh, Mark Melanson has been hurt for the entire year, and he had his struggles last year anyway. Paul Seawald brings them stability to the back end of the bullpen, not only this season, but next season as well. He has 21 saves and 24 opportunities with the Seattle Mariners this year. He took over as a closer last year. Kind of an amazing story, actually. He was basically let go by the Mets after a tough couple of seasons there. The Mariners pick him up. He starts in AAA. He works his way into the major league bullpen and eventually becomes the closer pretty quickly for them. So it's a nice get for the Diamondbacks. It's kind of a you know steep price as far as they trade Dominic Canzone, who is showing potential to be an everyday player potentially for a, for an organization. Josh Rojas, who'd been here for a while, and then Ryan Bliss, who you might have seen at the Futures game, a uh, infield prospect who's had a great season in Double A, just moved up to Triple A. So. Uh, yeah, Seawald, it, it fixes a clear hole on their roster for this year and next. Uh, so that was, and probably the biggest hole that they cleared up uh, for their moves that they made at the deadline. Seawald also might be the most obvious closer that the Diamondbacks have had since, I don't know, J.J. Putz. I mean, it's been a long Ziegler, road. I mean, they've had they've had like one-year hits. Yeah. Like, Archie Bradley did it for a while. Uh, yeah, they did go get Fernando Rodney. Boxberger did it for a year. Neither sure. of them were great. But yeah, the closer, at least. But Paul Seawald, I mean, he comes in. There's no misunderstanding here. He is the closer. They acquired him to be the closer. And yeah. he even mentioned that Mike Hazen said, listen, dude, we're, you know, we're treading water over here and we need somebody to lock down the ninth. We want that to be you. So I think it makes all the sense in the world. It's one of those trades where you move on from pieces that were kind of blocked anyway. You've got, you know, Dominic Canzone's a left handed hitting outfielder. That's all they have out there, it feels like, at times. So yeah. he's a little bit blocked for playing time. Uh, Bliss is a second-slash-shortstop. He's kind of blocked by Ketel Marte, probably Jordan Lawler down the road, and especially Geraldo Perdomo at shortstop now that he's an all-star. So that's not a huge, huge loss, but a definitely a gain for Seattle. And then Josh Rojas, who has struggled offensively this year, um, but has, still hasn't hit a home run at the major leagues, but... I think that uh, Seattle's going to value his defensive versatility a little bit more than the Diamondbacks even did. Clearly, though, they're going to miss Rojas on some level because the next trade they decided to make just hours later kind of replaced Josh Rojas, and that's by getting Jace Peterson, 33 years old. Uh, they get him from Oakland. He's a second-slash-third baseman who is a below-average hitter but has some defensive versatility as well. Absolutely, and I'll get back to Peterson in a second, but going back to the Mariners piece of this, it's an interesting trade because this deadline was a little bit different, um, and Mike Hazen has said it was a little bit different given how many teams 
are still competing. I believe going into yesterday, there was 23 out of 30 teams that were still within seven or so games of a playoff spot, which if you're seven games back at this point, maybe you're not so into it. But like, there was a lot of teams still gunning for some sort of playoff position at this point. So to see the Seattle Mariners deal their closer when they were four games back, four and a half games back of a playoff spot, it's an interesting sort of case study for what this was and how difficult it was to get some of these deals done. Because a lot of the times it was buyer making a deal with buyer, a team right on the precipice of the playoffs, making a team with another team right on the precipice of the playoffs. So with the Mariners, they had a surplus of relievers. For the Diamondbacks, I mean, this, they don't they didn't want to give up anything from their major league roster. And Hazen has said that. But ultimately, it was sort of uh, both teams felt like a win-win as far as helping them win, not only now, but then going forward. So just sort of an interesting look at what the deadline was. Getting back to Peterson, yeah, it feels like a direct response to the Josh Rojas trade. Peterson, as you mentioned, 33 years old, left-handed hitting infielder. He started at third base already in his uh, Diamondbacks debut. He can play second and back up Gitel Marte. It's unclear what the role will be once Evan Longoria gets back from the injured list. He's on the 10-day IL with a back issue. It's not serious. They expect him to be back pretty soon after the 10 days are over. So, I don't know. Does Jace Peterson stick around in the roster for the rest of the season? Is he a short-term fix? They traded Chad Patrick for him, but they got cash considerations back to help with the money. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be something to watch. But ultimately, it's, it's just more infield depth for the interim. Unusual to get cash from Oakland by the way. Um, it's not a ton. <laughs> one deal that I think might confuse some people is on deadline day, we started to hear rumors that the Diamondbacks were listening to offers for left-handed pitchers that they had. Mm-hmm. Joe Mantiply comes to mind. He was an all-star last season. Hasn't had much traction this year, but he's certainly around. And then the surprising one is Andrew Chafin, who was a decent reliever for the Diamondbacks his first time around went away, was very successful in other places, and that leads to him getting re-signed by the Diamondbacks in free agency. He was really probably their biggest commitment in the bullpen during the offseason, and here we are talking about trade deadline day. They trade Andrew Chafin away to the Milwaukee Brewers, but they get a guy in Peter Strezlecki who we can talk about why they would prefer him versus Chafin. Um, Why did the Diamondbacks decide to do a move that kind of looks like selling? It does, doesn't it? A little bit. Especially when Strzelecki is starting in AAA. Uh, they optioned him after acquiring him to bring up Joe Maniply to fill in that left-handed role. Uh, a few things with Chafin. For, for starters, um, they've had a couple of other left-handed pitchers pitch very well. Chafin has some reverse splits this season. And with Kyle Nelson and Tyler Gilbert pitching as well as they have been over the you know the recent haul here, uh, it gave them a little bit more flexibility to go out and get a reliever with much more control who ha- brings them a different pitching profile in Strzelecki. They liked the kind of arsenal that Strzelecki has. It's a high spin rate fastball. He's got a good slider with a pretty good vertical move, or yeah, vert- horizontal movement. Horizontal. Yeah. <laughs> or horizontal, vertical. <laughs> with some good movement on it. Right. Uh, and so it, it just gave them a different look uh, and another right-handed pitcher, which is something that Hazen mentioned, given some of the struggles of some of the younger guys. They called up Justin Martinez a couple of times, sent him back down a couple of times. Carlos Vargas, kind of the same deal. Those are very young pieces who, who knows what their future holds, but for this season, hadn't really been getting it done in the organization's eyes. So now you bring in Strzelecki, who could potentially have a role down the stretch of this season. Uh, we'll see what they get at a man supply who 
has been hurt a couple of times this year already and has struggled to find his footing and really find a groove. So that's sort of where they are with the Chafin deal. But yeah, it is a little strange to see somebody who's pitched so many games for them and has had such a big role for them and has pitched well when not pitching in the ninth inning. Uh, I will say his, his stats this year, uh, he's got sub two ERAs in the seventh inning and the eighth inning. It's just the ninth inning where it has kind of fallen off for him. So uh, yeah, it was an interesting move to see, but ultimately it gives them a little bit more depth in the front end of the bullpen with right-handed pitching. Uh, yeah, but it, it'll be weird to see Chafin in a Brewers jersey, that's for sure. You also get a lot younger by doing that move. Peter Strzelecki sure. is controllable through what, it, I mean, I don't even know if his contract... Up until 2029. 29? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's so you, the obvious yeah. reason to do it, yeah. I think. So that move, a little bit different from the other moves, because then they kind of finish up trade deadline day with a buy. They went and got a right-handed hitting outfielder, something that we talked a lot about over the last couple weeks that they could need. Tommy Pham comes over, and he crushes lefties. It feels like they've been trying to fill this void for about two years now, where they've been looking for an outfielder to just do that, to just hit lefties. Right. It's part of the reason last year they tried Jordan Luplo, who historically has crushed lefties. The problem is, he didn't do that when they signed him, so they let him go early. Um, they do the same thing by trading Cooper Hummel for Kyle Lewis uh, with the Mariners in the offseason. And Kyle Lewis had a mysterious illness, missed a lot of time, still remains to be seen if he fits into this whole equation. Um, But Tommy Pham comes over. Mike Hazen made it very clear that a big part of this trade was not just the player, but the person Mm -hmm. and how he impacted the clubhouse. And a guy who, even though he may not, not be a star player, he's got that star attitude and the star work ethic that he would like to kind of rub off on some of the younger players that are already in house. Yeah. A lot there. Um, Tommy Pham has been in the league for a long time now, and he's hit pretty much at every stop, or close to every stop, Um, and he's been in some clubhouses that have had some real success. He was with the Cardinals to start off his career, he spent time with the Tampa Bay Rays, he went to the San Diego Padres when they started turning things around, Uh, and yeah, you're right, he's an intense guy, and they want that in their clubhouse now, as a veteran guy who can go in and sort of be a little bit of a jolt. And on the field, you're right, he's crushed lefties, but he's been pretty good against right-handed hit pitchers to this season and Hazen has said he's not just a platoon player for this Diamondbacks team but he's going to be somebody who they rely on just as another bat option with the back end of the lineup having its struggles over the past month or so uh so yeah fam really excellent season for the New York Mets he can slot in as a corner outfielder Lourdes Gurriel Jr.'s production has fallen off some their hitting against left-handed pitching has fallen off some. He comes in and adds another jolt. Yeah, I think that might be the part of the trade that I like the most. Not just adding a good player, adding a good person, but also what this could mean for Gurriel. They decided, even though he's a free agent at the end of the season, we're not going to necessarily move off of Gurriel. We're not going to abandon what he gave us in the month of May was mm-hmm. significant. What he's given us in June and July, not so good. August, so far, so good. August, so far, so good. Uh, granted, we're, what, August 2nd, so it's still early, only I guess. his first game, so uh, On go. the right trajectory. Um, <laughs> but what the Tommy fam trade could do is light a fire under Lourdes Gurriel. Not to say that they're competing for playing time necessarily, but Lourdes Gurriel, for a long time this season, has been the only right-handed hitting outfielder that they could rely on day in and day out. He was basically playing every single day all season. And that doesn't have to be the case anymore. He could get a day off here or there. Um, so he might be a little bit more well-rested. But also, too, now when you're facing a left-handed pitcher, your lineup is that much more potent. 
I just feel that this could be some good competition within their own clubhouse. Yeah, competition's good. Competition's good. And I know it's late in the season to say that. It's two veteran players. But, you know, two veteran players, upcoming free agents who've had good seasons. Gurriel's obviously production has fallen off in the past couple of months. Fam has gotten even better as the season has gone along. Uh, you're right. Against left-handed pitching, they can go with Corbin in center field. One of, you know, McCarthy or Thomas in right in or I guess Corbin in the outfield and one of McCarthy or Thomas in another outfield spot. Put either Pham or Gurriel in left field. One of them at DH solves a problem there. When Longoria gets back, you can have both Pham and Gurriel in the lineup with Longoria and have the better ability to be more flexible and have some better bench opportunities for either McCarthy or Thomas. Against right-handed hit pitching, given Pham's success there and recent struggles with Gurriel, I'm curious just how that balance is going to work out. Obviously, I think over the next couple of weeks, we'll get a better idea. But yeah, you're right. I think competition is good in this sense. I think for Gurriel, who hopefully is turning a corner, he's had a couple of good games in a row against the Giants to start off this series. But man, if, if he can get going again and they can get even close to an early season version of Gurriel with Pham there, I mean, the lineup changes so much against left-handed pitching that it, it can make a real difference down the stretch when they go up, you know, when they play the Dodgers again and they, I don't know who's going to be healthy at that point in time, but if it is a Kershaw and a Urias in that series, then you have a better counter. I am curious, though, because the FAM deal is the only trade they made for a rental player. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chafin, they move away, they get Streslecki, and there's a ton of control there through 2029 we mm-hmm. talked about. Paul Seawald has another contract, another year of his contract next season, so that plays into the future as well. Jace Peterson also has one year of control. Correct. Who knows if he's even around for the rest of this season, but he does have some options there. Um, Tommy Pham's a rental, though. And what that tells me is your two right-handed hitting outfielders are both under contract through the end of the year. I'm not trying to, you know, get ahead of things here. We still have a lot of baseball to be played this season mm-hmm. and hopefully a playoff push in them as well. Um, but it does kind of uh, it does kind of note the fact that they're going to have zero right-handed hitting outfielders at the end of this season, and that's something that they're certainly going to have to address uh, in the fall, in, in December. Um what about starting pitching? Because they came into this, and I would have said that was probably the biggest need the Diamondbacks had, was go and get another starting pitcher. Merrill Kelly missed a lot of time. He's back now, thankfully, which is great, but still, he missed some time. Uh, they've had other injuries to the rotation for most of the year. 60% of this rotation has been rookies. Today, they're calling upon another one, Slade mm-hmm. Ciccone, who's making his debut tonight. Um, he hasn't been statistically all that good in Reno, but... Um, they're relying a lot on rookies. I thought that would create a sense of urgency for them to go and get a starting pitcher, even if it was going to be a rental. It looks like the market just didn't really bear a situation that they were willing to jump at. Sure, yeah. Going into the trade deadline, the Dimebacks were pretty focused on pitching was the priority. That included bullpen and the starting rotation. They also, you know, if a right-handed bat option came about, that was going to be something that they were going to look at. So they checked off two of those boxes, and, you know, the Peterson deal is just to add some more depth with Rojas gone. But, yeah, starting pitching, that's a huge hole not to take care of. And, I mean, you mentioned it. Ciccone's going to come up for his Major League debut. They have Foughton there, who's been better lately, but the track record for the season in the Major Leagues hasn't been great, but he's made some adjustments. And Ryan Nelson has been there all year. And those are the three guys. Tommy Henry's on the injured list. Zach Davies is on the injured list. It doesn't sound like either of those two guys are going to be out for, I don't know, the rest of the season or anything like that. They're, they're expecting both to come back at some point. 
but it's not clear what the exact timeline is for either of them at this point. So with the starting pitching market, I mean, it was difficult because ultimately not a ton of guys with control got dealt. I mean, Dylan Cease was the big name and the Chicago White Sox decided to hold on for him, to hold on to him. Mitch Keller was somebody else who got floated out. The Pirates held on to him. So it was the rental market that you were looking at. And, you know, Jordan Montgomery goes, Michael Lorenzen goes, Eduardo Rodriguez stays put, Rich Hill goes, nothing for the Diamondbacks. And ultimately what Mike Hazen said, it was a very difficult market given how many buyers there were and what was asked of them off of their major league team didn't prove to, or they didn't feel was worth it. Um, and so clearly teams were asking about the young, controllable assets on the major league team for the Diamondbacks. I don't know exactly who that is, but, you know, they have a lot of them. They have Alec Thomas. They have Jake McCarthy. They have Geraldo Perdomo. They have Gabriel, Gabriel Moreno. So I don't, you know, it just came to a point where it wasn't worth it. And even Hazen said he was willing to maybe push beyond what he felt was a fair deal from a value perspective to fill that hole. But ultimately nothing came about it. Yeah, that's what surprises me so much because I look at the returns because most of the guys that they either did, we know they had interest in for mm-hmm. rentals, like Montgomery, we know they had interest. Lucas Giolito, we know they had some level of interest. There are reports they, about Lorenzen on deadline day that they right. were having talks, yeah. Those guys did get moved to other teams. So it's not that the player wasn't available. Um, and some of the prices were steep. Lucas Giolito kind of set the tone for the market, getting the top two prospects in return from the Angels. Um, and that, I feel like, really set the tone for the trade deadline, and at least the starter rental market, um, which was so high. So from that perspective, I, I totally get where Mike Hazen is coming from, that it, it, was cost, uh, it wasn't the right cost for them. But he says that teams were interested in their major league pieces. Now, you and I can assume who some of those players are. Alec Thomas in the outfield, maybe Jake McCarthy, um, some of their younger players. Maybe Perdomo gets mentioned somewhere in there as well. But none of those players got traded for other teams' major league talent. Lorenzen Mm -hmm. didn't get traded for major league talent. He got traded for prospects. Giolito, same thing. Um, Jordan Montgomery, same thing. So what does that say about the Diamondbacks' farm system where... You and I could probably assume that they weren't going to give up their big three prospects. That's Brandon Fott, uh, Drew Jones, and Jordan Lawler. They probably weren't going to give those guys up for a rental player. Yeah. So if those guys are off the off the table entirely, and other teams were looking for their major league talent, what does that say about the next tier of prospects? Mm. That they're probably not as great as uh, maybe they're not as valued by other franchises. And so I find that interesting that he said other teams wanted their major league players, but ultimately ended up settling for other organizations' prospects. Sure. And I guess to start off, I mean, it says also a lot about where the Diamondbacks are as far as their major league roster and some of the young talent that's already on there. I mean, the Phillies end up with Lorenzen. I mean, which young players on the Phillies can you think of that would have been had the value of like Thomas or Perdomo or Moreno mm-hmm. or anybody like Alec that? Alec Bohm, maybe. Right, but he's even a little further along Bryce the line. Scott, he's a little further. He's a little further too. Yeah. I mean, the Angels—they have some young talent, but ultimately they—they they were kind of in a unique space with how all in they've gone to try to maximize this last Shohei year. Um, so I think it's a little bit different just with the roster construction with the Diamondbacks. First off. Um, with the upper minors, I mean, the D-backs also have a bunch of guys who are kind of getting close to the precipice. I mean, now you have Slate Ciccone coming up, but they have a bunch of other pitchers in AAA who could be seen as going to be ready soon. They have some other players like, you know, 
Dominic Fletcher has already come up a couple of times this year. Blaze Alexander, Jorge Barosa, these guys are all on the 40-man roster and could, in theory, fill in pretty soon. So maybe the Dimebacks valued them a little bit more, but... Yeah, I mean, ultimately, look, there were some steep prices to pay. I know Lorenzen went for the fifth-ranked prospect in the Philly system. Um, you mentioned the Giolito deal. Uh, Jack Flaherty, another rental piece, goes to the Orioles for a couple of their top 18 guys. So ultimately, just uh, didn't feel like there was a deal that was worth it for them. And with how it says about the Diamondbacks system, I don't know, because everybody values everybody else so differently that it feels kind of hard. Like, we can go off the MLB pipeline rankings, but... That's not the Mike Hazen. I I don't know what exactly was asked. So, you know, maybe it was a combination of three guys from AAA and one of their major league guys. And that was just too steep because of what they feel about those guys. So it's it's kind of complicated to go over that without knowing everything. But, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate they didn't get a starting pitcher to help out with the group right now. During the pregame interview yesterday, Tori Lovello said that not getting a starting pitcher could be looked at as a vote of confidence in the young starters that they have. I didn't view it that way. I viewed it as we tried to get a starting pitcher. Mike Hazen made it pretty clear they were in that market. It was just too steep for them. Uh, I think that it was, I'm chalking it more up to we just couldn't get it done. (laughs) <laughs> and less yeah. of, well, we just believe so much in Tommy Henry, Ryan Nelson, Slade Ciccone, uh Brandon Fought. I, I didn't see it as well, a vote of confidence necessarily. I, I understand why he has to say that because he's in charge of the clubhouse and yeah. he's ultimately their boss. Um, so I don't know. Maybe there's two ways to look at it here, but I certainly didn't see it that way. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, that's the, you have to give that kind of a message, but they tried. They could have gone above and beyond for a rental piece. Like, could they have outbid the Phillies for Michael Lorenzen if they threw in an extra couple of prospects at the top of their system? Maybe. I mean, they could have certainly done that. But uh, so I think it's both. I think if they didn't feel at least somewhat comfortable with the options they have, I think they go above and beyond to bring in another starting pitcher, probably. But you're right. It wasn't for a lack of trying to add to this rotation behind Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen. I think also, we've talked about this, where they are in the standings compared to where they were a month ago. I think it did play a factor into this because, and, and that's something that Hazen has said going into the deadline, that the recent performance wasn't going to impact them too much given what the D-backs showed in the first half of the season, where they, they the fact that they were a competitive team. But ultimately, then he says yesterday after the deadline that it did impact their ability to be aggressive. They could have been maybe a little bit more, and he said this on Burns and Gambo, reckless if they were in first place battling for that, had to keep that title at this point. It changes your perspective a little bit. So I feel like that is also a factor in all of this to not go over the edge on this season to improve the team this year, but not necessarily negatively impact the team next year. It's funny, I think if you flipped the month of June and July, like if if they had played the way they played in June in July and played the way they did in July in June, same record on on deadline day, but with the momentum that they had, uh, we might be talking about a completely different story here at the trade deadline. Maybe. Because I think that they just peaked about a month too early, and the way, you kind of set it up nicely earlier, saying that the way that expanded playoffs has affected the trade deadline and has affected the prices and the fact that there's just way less teams selling at the deadline. I mean, mm-hmm. if the Mets hadn't decided to blow it up, 
I don't know that the really boring or the the Cardinals hadn't decided to blow it up. It's not a fun deadline, but they but they did sell some pieces, some really significant pieces in New York's case, including Tommy Pham. Um, So I think despite the fact that it's harder at the deadline now than ever to go and get the guys that you want or need. Uh, it still says something about baseball that I think MLB has the best trade deadline, the most exciting trade deadline in season of any sport in American professional sports. Um, but yeah, I, I think that if the Diamondbacks were in the position they were a month ago, we're probably having a different conversation today. We're probably talking about at least one starter, significant starter in the rotation. Um, and, you know, I, I hate to play the what if game, but, you know, what if the Cubs hadn't have gone on a tear in the last couple <laughs> of weeks? Would they have made some players available? Could Stroman have been uh, an option potentially? Could maybe. he? Could the Orioles have gotten Stroman and then the Diamond gets Flaherty? It could do this all day. <laughs> right. Yeah, you really could. So as it stands now, uh, 57 and 51 for the Diamondbacks. They're 5 and 12 since coming out of the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. Certainly not what they were hoping for after that uh, small vacation in the middle of the season. Brutal loss to the Giants on Tuesday night, too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you want to look at the schedule real quick before we uh, finish up, I mean, they've got two games left against San Francisco. They've so far split the series one and one. Um, that's incredibly important because the Giants do sit ahead of them in the division. Um, you still got the yeah. Padres to worry about on some level. They are four games back of the Diamondbacks, even. so. And they did add starting pitching. It was they Rich did. Hill, but it, they, they added uh, depth to the rotation. They got Scott Barlow to add depth to the bullpen, G-Man Choi. They made some moves. Garrett Cooper. So they've reloaded. I think the Diamondbacks, when you look at the NL West and the deadline, the Giants really didn't do anything. Um, they got A.J. Pollock. Okay. Uh, the Dodgers, it's like adding Tommy Pham. In my mind, Tommy Pham's had a better year, though. Much better than AJ Pollock this year. He's been better this year, but I think they fill a similar role in my mind. I think Pham's going to play more than Pollock. Okay, would be my guess. But anyway, with with the Dodgers, they tried to get Eduardo Rodriguez. I mean, I can imagine how dangerous they would be at the end of the season if Eduardo Rodriguez was in that rotation too. He said no. He says no. He wanted to stay close to his family, according to reports. Um, So he's sticking around in Detroit. Everybody has a different situation. I guess so. So uh, they end up, you know, sticking it with Lance Lynn and Ahmed Rosario and Kike Hernandez. They get uh, Brian Yarbrough at the end of the deadline. So a little bit less glamorous than getting Eduardo Rodriguez. So the Diamondbacks, as far as like adding to holes on their roster, I think them and the Padres probably did the best couple of jobs uh, in the division. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough to hold off the Padres down the stretch. They play them a couple of series in August. Uh, and then, yeah, you're right. Then they go up against the Dodgers uh, two games next week and then three games at the end of the month. So a lot of division baseball after it's been a while since they've gone on a run of a bunch of division series in a row. But yeah, they're going to be tested in the West. And those are the games that are ultimately going to determine their season, it feels like. So if we had to finish up by grading this trade deadline, I don't want to do the A, B, C thing. <laughs> but I mean, if you had to say that this was a great deadline for the Diamondbacks, good deadline, eh, it was all right, or... This is kind of a dud. Um, where do you where do you nail the Diamondbacks on that list? I'm between eh and good. Um, it's certainly not great because you didn't get the starting pitcher. It, getting a closer was fabulous. That was, that was a huge need of theirs, and they did it for multiple seasons. Pham is an excellent addition to this team, given the way that he's been hitting this year against lefties, against righties. He adds some more depth to the lineup, and the back end of the lineup has needed that uh, in the second half of the season. Peterson it will fill in defensively um 
and then the Chapin's just lucky thing we went over a little bit unique of a situation but also it can't be a great deadline with the starting pitching I'm also a little surprised they didn't get another reliever to help with the major league team right now you see like the Angels at the very end they got Dominic Leone uh, to help with their bullpen like I, I want to like trade one prospect for another bullpen arm to kind of help them out given that the bullpen had a 6 ERA in July and uh, a lot of arms who have been worked a ton I mean Miguel Castro has worked a ton of innings this year Scott McGuff has worked a ton of innings this year Kyle Nelson is creeping up there Chapin was working a ton of innings this year before he got traded so a little surprised that Seawald's the only reliever they got I felt like that would have really you know, if they got a starting pitching a pitcher, if they got another reliever, that would have hit it out of the park for me. So probably good. I would be my reaction. Yeah, I think I'm in the eh. I mean, you yeah. filled a couple of uh, voids. You obviously get a closer, which I think is pro- clearly the best trade that they made in my mind is the mm-hmm. Paul Seawald trade, just because of what you're getting in return. Um, I'm very eh on the Chafin thing. It's for a reliever who's got a ton of control. We'll see what Strezlecki turns into. He, I don't even know if he contributes this season. He do, certainly doesn't have to. Um, the Tommy Fam thing, <laughs> I like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I like the Fam thing. Uh, it fits a need now. Uh, don't know that it plays much of a role in the future, but again, we'll see. And then Jace Peterson, kind of a dud for me. I don't think that he plays a significant role on this team, but he does give you a left-handed bat in the infield that you traded away in Josh Rojas. But I didn't think Josh Rojas was missed all that much when they sent him down to AAA. But again, more Evan Longoria on the IL, that plays a certain role. All right, so the deadline has come and gone. Uh, will these trades send the Diamondbacks to the playoffs and possibly into a playoff push? We'll see if that's going to happen. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. That's Alex Weiner, who covers the team at ArizonaSports.com. Thank you for checking out the Ain't No Fang podcast here at Arizona Sports. Arizona Sports.